The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and this is episode number 128. I will be your host for today. Jason won't be with us. He is working. As you know, if you've been listening to our podcast, he works at Narcan on Suncoast. And Narcan on Suncoast is helping people get clean and sober every day. So we know that he's doing a good thing while he's not here talking to you. Today we have an interview with a gentleman named Paul Fletcher. And Paul Fletcher is a former Major League Baseball player with the uh, Phillies. He was a pitcher, and he um, was drafted in the 40th round of West Virginia State University, and he signed with the Phillies. And um, his career with the Phillies ended when he was 31 years old because of his addiction to alcohol. Um, As we hear so many times, uh, alcohol and or drugs will destroy your life, and alcohol definitely destroyed his. Um, His wife eventually divorced him, and he um, definitely had a lot to uh, make up for with his children. But now he is giving back. He works um, for a rehab in South Florida, the treatment center. And he's telling his story in an effort to help um, young people and old alike to not go down the path that he went down. He has been sober since 2000. He's clean and sober now, and I will let him tell you his whole story. So without further ado, let's talk to Paul Fletcher. So, Paul, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I, I really appreciate you sharing your story with our listeners. Oh, my pleasure. It's not a problem at all. I love doing this stuff. Well, it's just awesome. I mean, you know, we have so many different stories. We've been doing this, you know, almost two and a half years now. And, you know, everybody's story is somewhat similar because it involves drugs or alcohol, but then there's differences. And I, I always think that the different stories, you know, resonate with different people who listen. So can't thank you enough. Absolutely. No, no, you never know who you might touch. Exactly. So the way I like to start these is um, to just ask you, you know, when did you, I know that your drug of choice was alcohol, but when did you get started drinking alcohol? When did it start for you? Uh, I would say my college years was uh, when I really started uh, drinking more than I should probably. But um, you know, I believe it. I got my I got my first and only DUI when I was a sophomore in college, and then uh, after that, I back and forth a little bit. But uh, it progressed a little bit during my baseball years. Um, I played 12 years, so that was something, uh, part of it, I guess, if you say it was for the the higher you got up in levels, you know, you got beer in the clubhouse and stuff like that, so it was like a rite of passage stuff, so um, it got a little bit worse then, but um, controllable, you know, I've never really got into any trouble after that first time when I was 19, but... uh, I learned how to drink when I was playing ball, really, to tell you the truth. 
and I, I'm assuming you weren't the only one. I'm not asking you to name names, oh, but I'm assuming no. you weren't alone. No, that was uh, probably, you know, 75% of the team, you know, we always had a beer, went out for a beer or a drink after the game. Home games, we had it in the clubhouse, so, you know, we'd relax a little bit after the game, talk about the game, have a beer, and then if we were on the road, then usually, you know, a hotel bar or something afterwards, so that was just part of the daily routine. Right. Paul, wait, did you, like, okay, so you you start, you got a, your DUI, you were, I'm sorry, when you were 19 years old, did sure. was there any history of alcoholism in your family, or um, what was your childhood my like? My uncle was, my childhood was nice, I mean, no, neither parent drank, Okay. Uh, there was rarely anything in the house or anything like that, nothing, uh, my uncle was an alcoholic, but I rarely saw him, he was. Uh, you know, and, you know, he lived down here in Miami, and uh, he had died of uh, liver disease, liver cancer, like at 68 or 69. But he's the only other person that really I know that drank a lot. Everybody else, nobody else had any troubles. Okay. So it wasn't around me at all. It was just, I think it was more a product of just me being around uh, it, you know, when, all the time, and um, it just spiraled out of control after my career was over. Is when it really got bad. How did it affect your um, your baseball career? It probably, you know, it probably affected it more than I thought at the time because I felt like everybody else was doing it, um, and you know, if I had a chance to go back, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't do it as much or at all because, um, you know, I took it as it was a game and I played it and we enjoyed, laughed, everything. It was so much fun and uh, the alcohol and the drinking was part of it. But some of the more serious guys who at the time we, we you know, we looked at them kind of differently because they didn't drink. And as in, you know, uh, goody goodies or, you know, people like that and it was you know just pure ignorance and on our part but um we thought we were the cool ones i guess and uh i'm sure there's days that i didn't feel the best next day and i was a relief pitcher so i usually had to pitch about every day so uh, on those nights i didn't drink as much but if i knew i had a day off the next day then yeah that was a pretty good chance that i was gonna drink a little bit more right so I'd say that affected, it affected my performance some. It also affected the, you know, the my reputation probably a little bit with some coaches part. But, um, you know, I don't know if it had a, a real lasting effect on my pitching performance, but more so my reputation maybe. I see. Okay. And then, so you played for 12 years, is that what you said? Yes. 12, yeah. 12 and- years and... Long time. And then what happened after your baseball career? Well, that's when I got interesting. You know, I just didn't adjust. I retired um, kind of because I had an elbow, elbow injury my 12th year in spring training. I had uh, major surgery on my elbow when it was a year rehab. And then at that time it put me at 33 years old, I believe. And 
Um, at that time, it was uh, the type of surgery I had was kind of like a death sentence. And when I was able to come back, you know, they were no team wanted to really uh, take a chance on signing me again because they were afraid that you know get hurt again and it was an expensive surgery they'd have to pay for it that type of thing so uh reluctantly i gave it up and then i just didn't adjust well to regular life you know that game was taken away from me and and i wasn't prepared for it right interesting you know, it just hit me and yeah life without ball was hard yeah, I was just, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. I was just going to say it's interesting because we interviewed a former NFL player and, you know, kind of similar once, you know, he was no longer an, an NFL player. That was just, it. it's it's not even, it's not that much different too from military who come back and they're used to a certain way of life and a certain discipline and a certain, you know, schedule and, you know, game, if you will. And then all of a sudden it's not there. Correct. I mean, you're, you're used to seeing everybody. You're used to, uh, I mean, let's be honest, uh, especially when you're in the big leagues, you're the center of attention. People do everything for you. You get the best of uh, everything, hotels, food. People are cleaning your shoes for you. I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous on how they treat you. But, um, you know, you're a celebrity, and then when it's gone, you're you're not, you know, unless you're somebody that is uh, like a 10-year pro in the big leagues. I was only up and down three different times, you know, less than a year total in the big leagues. And the rest of it was all my league time. So, you know, you just you just miss everything. It was, um, it was a way of life, you know, and then it's gone. And then any other job I had just was, you know, I think I had 10 jobs and, 10 years and hated every single one of them, hated life, hated myself. And then the alcohol got out of control and, uh, you know, I was hiding it, uh, worried about what everybody was thinking about me and just was in a, you know, really dark place that I just couldn't ever see myself getting out of because uh, I just hated myself, you know. Right, and you had a family at the time, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I was living in uh, outside of Philadelphia. My son was 10, and uh, my daughter was four um, at the time, probably in 2007. So that's when I really got uh, really bad and was, you know, hiding alcohol over the house and late for work and missing days and just really just miserable so it was something that i really didn't understand why i um was that way but uh after a while i learned why you know it was just i guess it's kind of like mourning a death is what they were saying a death of myself but the identity but you know it was just something i felt i could beat and you know, I'm an athlete. I should be able to get out of this, and it just took over my life completely, and really almost uh, destroyed it. Right. So, yeah. so, at, did you? Were you arrested any other time? You said you got your uh, DUI when you were no, late. no. So no, never got any trouble. Um, never. I mean, I believe me. I 
I used to drink and drive all the time. As soon as I get off work, you know, I either had a bottle waiting for me in my truck or I stopped immediately and got something. Right. And because it was a 45 minute drive home, so I very easily could have. But um, that was a daily routine. I just couldn't wait till work was over just to get to the alcohol. Right. And you um, attempted suicide, didn't you? Yep. In uh, 2009, uh, I did that. There was, uh, you know, I just got, in 2007, uh, my ex-wife now kicked me out of the house. Um, Then I got sober. Well, I wouldn't say that. I stopped drinking for a year and a half. At that point, but I didn't do any of the work, no steps, no AA, nothing like that. Right. Just for spite, I stayed sober for a year and a half. Then when we kind of got back together for a while, and then I held some major resentments for her kicking me out of the house, and I just wasn't mentally um, in a good place, I guess. I thought I was, but I asked for the divorce then, and then I moved out, and I was probably out on my own at an apartment for a month and it all started up again and uh, you know from there I was working a nice job but in the office I still had a cubicle couldn't stand it but I went to work one morning uh, still drunk from the night before my buddy told me to go home and and then I went home I drank for two days and just got into a mess and um Took every bit of my prescription blood pressure meds that I had in like at seven in the morning, one morning, and uh, I uh, made a phone call to my ex-wife at the time and told her, you know, come find me in a couple of days because I was written from the really nice people that I didn't want to, I didn't want to destroy their apartment with a decaying body in there. And luckily, she put the kids on the bus and come and found me. And and uh, from there, it was you know, four days of uh, in the hospital and then another week in a psych ward. And I got really... And then that wasn't even enough to keep me sober. You kept me sober for about six months, and that was it. And started the cycle all over again. So def- definitely not your point of no return, if you will. Definitely. What, right. What was your point of no return? I mean, you've, you've almost died, and now you're drinking again. So when did you finally get that wake-up call or that we call it point of no return About, that you had to change? Yeah. It was probably it was five years later because I was still off and on drinking but more on. And I just was, uh, I was really bad one day and I just got to so beat mentally and I couldn't, I started hallucinating and things were spinning around and I couldn't keep alcohol down to try to make myself feel better. Cause I used to, that was my thing. The worst thing I ever learned was hair of the dog, that phrase. Cause then, you know, I drink in the morning to make myself feel better. And right. And I just couldn't keep the alcohol down this particular day. And I just had enough of either, you know, get help or, you know, get over, you know, time to die. It was that point. So I made a phone call to my mom and my sister. And they came and 
got me and took me to the hospital. I went to, because I was talking suicide again, they took me to another psych ward for 10 days. And then, uh, then after that, I was sent down here to Florida for treatment. And I've been good ever since, but it's been, it was a good 10, 12 years of misery. Right. And so how long have you been sober now? Uh, it's, it was six years this past April. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, thank you. Thank you. No, it's, it was well worth it. I mean, and I, well, I went through hell for all that, but um, it's put me in a better place. And and you learn a lot when you go through the whole process, but you don't understand it while you're doing it. And now, you know, things are a little bit clearer, and you know why, what was going on, and and why I did the things I did. But, uh, you know, now it's just time of learning to, I had to learn how to forgive myself and, and yep. to love myself and be able to, be, you know, just to be a good dad and, a good person again. Yep. And you have a good relationship now with your kids, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so fortunate. They are, they both live in Pennsylvania, um, with their mother, but, uh, one just graduated college. My son, he's in the real business world now. And my daughter just got a driver's license yesterday. She's 16. So, and they, uh, the relationship is great. They're doing really, really well. Um, so it's been, I was very fortunate that they didn't hold grudges. I know a lot of people that, uh, you know, the kids just don't understand. They think that uh, that they chose, someone chose alcohol over the, their kids. But uh, when I got down to treatment, I was very open and honest with my kids and told them, you know, that I'd made some mistakes and that I wasn't their fault and I wasn't because of them. And fortunately, they, you know, they understood, so... That was very, very fortunate. That's awesome. Just a reminder that you are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For further information on the podcast, you can go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or you can find us on our Facebook page by the same name, or you can call us at 727-314-7080, or you can email us to theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. For further information on Narcan on Suncoast, call 1-877-339-3324. That's 1-877-339-3324. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman A certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast and get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com, that's N-E-W-M-A-N-I-N-T-E-R-V-E-N-T-I-O-N-S.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Yeah, I mean, you could say maybe that the first 
couple times maybe was uh, that choice, but once it takes hold and the addiction sets in, it, you know, it's physically addicting. It's not like you can just walk away from it. Some people do, but, but I think very few, you know, actually do that. No, you're right. And that's what um, most people don't understand. You know, the, it's a choice at the beginning. And, but like you said, when it takes over, the choice is taken away and our minds are, they're sick you know, they're not healthy. And I just, uh, the temptations and the, the need, uh, the alcohol rules, you know, rules our mind. And a lot of people don't understand that. And that's kind of like, um, why I try to do, I try to still help. I worked in the field until just recently. Um, I still help a lot of people, but now I'm kind of, step back a little bit out of the outreach marketing type thing that for facilities. Um, it was just something personally I wanted to do for a little while, but I still help people and still try to talk to people and let them know and help with families because, um, let's face it, they just don't understand why we do what we do. And, and sometimes coming from somebody else, they get a better understanding and, and, uh, and let them know that it's not them the reason why somebody drinks or drugs, but just some really a mental illness. You know, you, you make a really good point there. It's like I can have a glass of wine and that's it, and I'm done. And I can do it maybe every two weeks, maybe. And I think that when people are like that, like me, they look at someone who drinks compulsively, if you will, and they don't understand. They go, I can stop. You know, why can't that person can't stop? They? Well, that's an addiction. Exactly. That's different. I'm not addicted to wine. You know, now if I started drinking it every day, I'd probably have a conversation with myself and say, yo, what's going on that you feel you need to do that? But, you know, if people just, you're right, people don't understand. And, and frankly, that's why we do this podcast. And my co-host, who isn't here today, um, is, I think he's, well, he's probably... 13 years sober now. Um, but he, you know, he had, he was a drug addict, you know, and there's so many things that, that the loved ones go through. And the thing we try and say over and over again is like, you know, okay, whatever you want to think about, you know, why can't that person come off or I'm responsible or what have you, it, it, lay that aside and get, get help. Get help for your loved one. Right. Get them into treatment. Don't go down the road of beating yourself up or beating them up or the whys or the wherefores. You can you can talk about that later, but get them help because, you know, as you know, Paul, you were close to death a couple times, and and if you don't get someone help, that's that that's the other that's the other side of that equation is death and absolutely and. Yeah. and and then, and then you're going to sit there and really beat yourself up if you didn't help your loved one get into treatment. Yeah, I mean, I think the family has it. I mean, they have it just as bad, if not worse, than sometimes the, the addict or the alcoholic does. I mean, I felt terrible for my family, and that just fed my guilt and my shame and just kept the cycle going as well. Um, regardless of how many times I tried to stop, there was when I was early in on early onset of my alcoholism, I had I would go forty five days when I'd stop try to quit on my own. I'd get to forty five days and then I would end up going and drink. 
Right. And then I'd get bad or sick or something. I'd stop and I'd hit that 40, 45 days again. And then I felt like I deserved to, oh, you did great. Now you can go ahead. You can drink again. And just, I never really learned that I couldn't until it got really out of hand. But right. um, when it comes to families and the patient or the alcoholic, you know, there's, there's a, they just run out of chances and opportunities, and we lie so many times because our addiction tells us to, and they just run out of trust. And then sometimes, you know, they get so frustrated, they throw their hands up. But if you can just get somebody into treatment, I'm a firm believer treatment works. There's a, you know, there's a bad stigma out there that treatment centers just want money. They just want their insurance money and this and that. It's a process that we have to go through, no matter what. I don't care. There's very few who who are hardcore alcoholics or addict, addicts that can just stop on their own. That's right. They need a process. First, that 30 days of treatment is supervised, and they're able to stay away from the alcohol or the drug. Right. To give them that time away to get clear-minded just to get a start. And without that, they're never going to be able to get that time. They're going to be able to stop on their own like that. So that alone is one important product product of the, the treatment. But, you know, you learn so many tools and stuff, and it's an opportunity for you to step back and listen and take a self-evaluation of yourself. And if you want to get help and want to change, then that's the time, you know? Yep, that's exactly so, right. Um, my co-host, Jason, he actually works as a, at a residential rehab center here in Clearwater, Narcan on Suncoast, and I know he, if he were sitting here, he would be nodding his head and agreeing with everything you say, because that's that's why they're there, is because, you know, the, the percentage of people who can, you know, do it on their own by themselves are few and far between, and, you know, and even treatment centers, they're not, they're not one size fits all. You know, and right. what what works for one person may or may not work for another. And the point is to to reach out and get help wherever you can get it. You know, you can get help, and there's so many resources out there, and so many people that are there to help. You know, and that just they want to do whatever they can to help with the whole addiction problem that exists today. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, you know, the, the hardest thing is for somebody to actually ask, actually ask for help. That's and, right. You know, their own guilt and shame is what keeps them from doing that. And that's, a, it. you know, what, why I'm able to talk about the things I talk about now is, was basically my cure. You know, I didn't talk about it. I didn't let anybody know anything because I was ashamed and afraid of what everybody else would think. Oh, Paul Fletcher, the, the big bad superstar who thought he was all something now he can't even now he's a drunk and this and that and that's i worried so much about everybody's perception about me except for my own i then when i started to realize that you know i don't care what anybody else thinks i gotta learn what you think about myself you know when i was you know learn how to love myself and know me and then everybody else can you know whatever think that's not my it's not up to me to care what anybody else thinks about me. You right. got to love yourself first. That's right. Your opinion that is the one that matters. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yours and is then, the So when I started talking about it and being able to discuss it with people, then, you know, that was kind of like, yeah, you know, think of me as you will, but 
um, from this point on, you know, I'm working forward and, and trying to be the best I can be. And if that's not good enough for you, then, you know, you're not meant to be in my life or anything, but I am here to do the best I can and to stay sober and to help somebody else. Somebody else will hear the message and somebody else. So many times I've heard, I used to do some videos on Facebook and stuff and, some people would say, man, I, when I heard you say your story, it gave me the courage to, to call you and ask for help because I, yep. I felt the same. And that's that's all we want to do. Yep. Yep. That's why we that's why we do this podcast every week, because I know that for every individual story that we tell on this podcast, there is at least one and there have to be more because we've you know, over 100,000 people have downloaded it, but I know there are people who listen to it and go, I can relate to that story, I should get help, or that sounds just like my son, or that sounds just like my brother, and I need to get them, you know, into treatment. And that's, that's what we go for. That's all we can hope for is that someone listens to it and, and reaches out as a result. Yeah, what you guys are, what you guys do is incredible. It's a credible resource and something that, uh, you know, you, like you said, you never know who you're going to reach, but I'm guaranteeing you're reaching somebody that's going to make that choice to finally get help or find help for somebody else they love. Well, thank you. This is this whole problem with addiction is not going to be solved by one person. It's not going to be solved by no. one program, you know, one organization. It really is going to take everybody pitching in who can pitch in. And this is this is what we do. And I really appreciate what you do. Now, are you doing public speaking still? Are you available for that type of thing? You said oh, you yeah. kind of step- I'm always, always available for that. I do it anytime somebody asks. You know, I do it. Uh, anyhow, I don't charge for anything like that. It's something I want to give back. It's something that I love doing. I'm not a, um, per se, polished speaker. I speak from the heart. and You know, I don't really prepare notes and stuff like that. I just go and 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 talk to talk to people there and ask what they want me to hit on and points that they want me to make and then i just wing it but it's just all coming from the heart because you know name it you know i've I've done it and i've been there when it comes to alcohol exactly i know the feelings they're going through so any way i can touch and relate to somebody i think that helps uh, somebody else and and uh you know like you said, this is not a there's no quick cure for this, but uh, we have to be able to make a difference in somebody's life one one at a time. That's right. So, if somebody wanted you to come and speak, say at the school at their school or to their organization, how do they find you? They could uh, well. I have a uh, Facebook page, just uh, Paul Fletcher. Uh, there's a um, athletes page. I guess it's a other than my personal page, it's a professional page, I guess. Okay. They can go on there and message me or call me, text me anytime. I'd be glad to give out my phone number if anybody wanted to do that, but I don't know how that goes. Is, um, that's fine. Is that the yeah, number that I is that the number I called you on? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so it's three zero four five three two three one three two. You can reach out to Paul, either you know, probably texting is best. And then you were gonna say what your email is. Uh, e is an Edward P is in Paul Fletcher fifty eight at yahoo dot com. So E P Fletcher fifty eight at yahoo dot com. Paul, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, for the listeners, if anybody struggles or needing help, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and ask for help. There's no shame in asking for help. The real shame is not asking for help. Exactly. Just staying sick. Actually, I forgot to do that. I forgot to say to you, what's the one, if you could say one thing to our listeners based on your experience, what would that be? What would you say? Get over yourself. Just (laughs) suck it up. Make the phone call. It's painless. Uh, You know, you get, like whenever I felt, just dial a number and then start talking. Um, Don't sit there and hold the phone waiting, figuring out, oh, I can't do this. Just dial a number and then they'll say hello and it's too late. You just start talking. Tell them what you're going through and tell them what you need help for because it's, you know, it's not going to get any better until we make that first step. And that first step is the biggest one, but it is so relieving, you know, you feel better, so much better once you start the process and somebody's able to relate to what you're going through. So right. I would say just, you know, just don't stay sick, get help, pick up the phone. Exactly. And if you don't know who else to call, you can call Paul. I gave you his number. Exactly. 304-532-3132. And he'll talk to you if nobody else will. But I guarantee whoever you call is going to talk to you. And that is the hardest step. Exactly. It, it really is. So it's painless. You know, it's it's the best step, best step you can make. Exactly. Paul, once again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you telling your story and I appreciate you sharing it and everything you're doing to help with this situation. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed Paul's story. I thought it was a fascinating story and one that I think will resonate with some of you. You know, I wanted to um, just mention one thing. If if you're listening to this podcast and either you yourself have been through several different rehabs and are at the point where you think that you just cannot get better, or if you have a loved one and you have helped them get into several different treatments and you just don't think anything is going to work for them, I want you to reach out to Narcanon and talk to them. The number there is 1-877-339-3324. This podcast is not a commercial for Narcanon, uh, pretty much unless we have a graduate on, and then the graduate talks a lot about the program. But it really is a different type of treatment program. It is completely drug-free. And if you are of the viewpoint that we are, that trying to treat drug addiction with drugs, it kind of makes no sense. You know, the thing of the definition of insanity being, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and thinking that you'll get a different result, then Narcanon is something that you should check out. They are completely drug-free, drug-free withdrawal. And The other thing I think that is unique about Narcanon is they really get to the bottom of what problem was there for which drugs became the solution. Anyway, that's it. That's my commercial. I have another interview coming up next week that I think will be of interest. And we're going to keep talking about this problem and keep telling you stories until everybody that listens that has someone in their lives who is addicted gets into treatment. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. 
You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 